Coordinates Found, the Outdoor Parent Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm Jelaine, the host of the Outdoor Parent Podcast, and I'm a book lover. Although I like fiction, I absolutely love nonfiction that has to do with the outdoors and kids. I was so excited to talk to Sandy about her new book that deals with kids' mental health and how the outdoor relates to that. Such an interesting and useful topic that needs to be discussed more. Today, I get the privilege of talking with Sandy about her new book, Finding Eco-Happiness. Before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what has led you to write this book? Okay, well, thanks for having me here. I'm very excited to dive in. I am Sandy Schwartz. I currently live in Florida, but I, I come from New Jersey, and I still go back there to enjoy the Jersey Shore and the beach every summer with my family. And that's really where it all started in, in my hometown in New Jersey, cleaning up a dirty river, which inspired me to want to save the planet. And the rest is history. <laughs> um, I went on to college to focus on environmental studies, thought I was going to be an environmental lawyer, but I ended up more in the realm of environmental and science communications. And I worked at the Environmental Protection Agency and the National Academy of Sciences. And the real focus for me was public understanding of science and making sure people really you know, can grasp why it's important now you know, to be in nature and the science behind it. And I just think it, you know, a lot of people don't realize the benefits of nature. So that's what I'm here to communicate. And I've had a love for books and writing for a long time. And so when I, I've been writing blog posts and articles about the topic of nature and mental health, oh, that's the piece that I need to add in there. So how did I get to the point of nature and mental health? Well, I have been struggling since a child with my own stress and anxiety. I can recall sitting in math class with sweaty palms, uh, being afraid to get called on, or uh, nausea before birthday parties and other social events. And that just kind of kept growing in my life through college. And I had lots of physical symptoms from that anxiety, but didn't really understand it. No one talked about it back then. And it really hit hard during my, the period of time when I was trying to have kids. I had a lot of issues and went through infertility treatments and then also had preterm labor and was hospitalized for a few days with my firstborn. So all of that built up to a lot of stress and anxiety. So I became, once my my son was born, I really was struggling with postpartum anxiety, I realized. And I had to find out how to handle this, right? Because I wanted to be the best mom possible. And so I, I entered the world of researching positive psychology, and that, that encompasses as, things like um, mindfulness, gratitude practice, feeling awe for nature. And so I then embarked on really writing about that, researching about it. And one day it all hit me that I could go back to my original passion of the environment and saving the planet figure out how that can also help me and help everybody who's struggling with stress and anxiety. So that's what the Eco Happiness Project is all about, you know, how we can benefit from nature, but why it's our duty to protect it as well. Yeah, they're so 
interconnected because I think you mentioned in the book too, nature is giving so much to us. And once you realize that, you really want to give something back and you want to preserve it so it's there so you can have this this mutual relationship with nature. And I think that's interesting because I haven't heard anyone really talk about um, that relationship with nature in the way that you have. Yes, and that was what was so exciting about this topic because I realized that it wasn't being discussed enough. And, you know, I'm very involved in the environmental movement. I'm a Sierra Club member. And for years, I've, you know, been volunteering in the environmental world and working in it as well. And right, I've never, and and my major was environmental studies. And no one ever brought that up, that the value of, you know, why are we protecting nature and why it's good for us? I mean, it is a bit human centric (laughs) to think, well, we're doing it for ourselves. But you know, we also, you know, there's a mental health crisis going on now and people people need this. And this is just a simple solution. We see, you know, with the opioid crisis and now with, um, you know, that medication can be overused. And so I wanted to try to figure out natural ways to address emotional well-being. Yes. And, and like you said, maybe a little human-centric, but once somebody realizes how important nature is, they really learn to value it for it in itself. And then you kind of slowly wean the human aspect out of it a little bit and really just Mm -hmm. love nature for itself. But it has to start somewhere. (laughs) And it's a good starting point because we need to have a, a good mindset just in order to function. We can't save nature if we if we ourselves are a mess. So I love that. And I love your book it really resonated with me um just in the first few pages because i could relate so much to what you were saying i'm sure a lot of other people can too but the anxiety as a child and not really knowing what it was like you're like Mm -hmm. oh she's just shy or she just um you know is nervous all the time it's like oh no there's there's bigger issues going on here so i didn't even realize what i had gone through until hmm. i was more of an adult and realizing raising my own kids like oh <laughs> that that probably isn't a healthy way to look at the world or to be afraid or anxious all the time let's go over the history of good mental health if you have anything to input on that I know there was a little bit of a movement, I think, in the early 1900s in Victorian England because there was a surgence of expeditions and exploring the world. And But I don't think they ever connected mental health with nature, definitely not in the way that we have now. Do you have any insight on the history and how it's changed and how do you feel we are currently at in the connection and realizing how important nature is to our mental health? Well, I think it's first important to note that mental health itself is just starting to be you know, um, discussed and communicated mm. more widely. It was such you know, an embarrassing, shameful topic for people. I think, you know, with our, in our childhood, for sure, not even Mm -hmm. understanding what this was for me for all those years. And now here I am talking about it and hoping that other people will too. And we've seen people, you know, uh, famous people talk a lot more about their anxiety, you know, even movie stars, you think, oh, they're Mm -hmm. the most confident people and they've got it together. But a lot of people are dealing with mental health. So as far as the nature piece, 
You know, it's something that we've known instinctively for thousands of years, you know, but this science is really now backing it up. And that's, for me, what's been so intriguing about entering this world of research because I, again, you know, was so, you know, my work was always about the science behind everything. You know, my job at the National Academies and, and the EPA was to really, you know, create these bullet points for for the for the world to understand a complex science issue. So I, I love the fact that, you know, if you're reading the, the research, it may be too complex, but boiling it down to a few points that says, hey, yeah, your cortisol level, your stress hormone is going to decrease if you go walk outside amongst the trees. It's that simple. And so I'm really grateful for all the research over the years. I'm very grateful for Richard Louvre mm-hmm. and his work with um, – uh, nature deficit disorder. I think he really shifted the discussion on that. And he's one of my, although I've not, not met him personally, although I hope to soon, he um, he did uh, blurb my book and I'm part of the Children of Nature Network. And he's really like to me, the guru of this movement and an inspiration for me to write because he is also, a, he was also a journalist before he became an author and an expert in this field. So I love to look at him for for inspiration. And you did an amazing job on balancing putting the scientific studies to back the the data, the mental health, the linking nature. You put it in there, but you made it simple so that everyone can get it, basically, because I've read quite a few different um, different books, and some of them are a little overwhelming, I'm going to be honest, because there's just a lot of data. And you did a good job of simplifying it, but making sure it's cited in there so you can know that this is real. You know that there's science behind it because everyone has an opinion now (laughs) and it's hard Mm -hmm. to wade through a lot of this stuff. So I love to see the studies. I appreciate that you balanced that really well in your book. I'm laughing because I have to then um, give that credit to my communications director boss at National Academy of Sciences way back when when I was in Washington, D.C., because we would literally have the most <laughs> detailed science reports, and we had to boil it down to like a two-pager with bullets, a topics that were pretty dry for most people, but we worked very hard to do that, so that training has paid off. Thank you. <laughs> so, so all of those late nights and difficult times working on those, <laughs> we see it. <laughs> Full circle in the book. (laughs) Um, Okay, so with eco-happiness and mental health with nature, is this subject for all ages? Yes. Now, this book, what's interesting about book marketing is you really have to niche down. So when I spoke initially to my publisher, he wanted to, you know, say, oh, elementary school and middle middle school. So school school age children in general. But it's really for all of us. It's for grandparents. It's for the parents. It's for any caregiver. It's for the teacher who's doing these nature activities alongside the students. And it's for, you know, the as young as you can get, you know, even having um, a newborn strapped on you and going for a nature walk can, can be stimulating to them and, and beneficial to their development. So it's for all of us. But this particular, you know, guide in here with activities is geared towards a little bit more right elementary and middle school you kind of lose a little bit in high school kids want their independence but mm-hmm. i 
it, it applies to them too, especially the the adventure chapter. I think that that's a really great way to engage older kids and teens and and also the volunteering chapter because, you know, volunteering is so beneficial. So if you choose volunteer projects that have to do with being outside and helping the environment, I think that's extremely beneficial. But it's for everyone. We all need eco-happiness in our lives. <laughs> I agree. And I got a lot of points for myself out of the book as well as for my kids. So that's why I wanted to ask because I feel like it's for everyone too. <laughs> and that's just what you said. So yeah, <laughs> uh, let's get into some specifics about the book. All right. You mentioned Nature's mood boosters. Can you share what those main five nature mood boosters are and maybe just a little bit about them? So colors. What's really cool about colors is if you've ever decorated your home, there's a lot of research on color and how it makes you feel. And there's like color psychologists. And, you know, we know that like red would kind of makes us feel more excited and even anxious. But blues and greens have been shown to be more calming. And I just think that is fascinating since most of nature is blue or green. So, you know, if you're trying to decorate a a child's bedroom and you want them to sleep tight at night, then, you know, think about soft hues of greens and blues. And patterns are an interesting one. I love talking about this because... And I learned about this during during my book research is that there are there's something called fractal patterns and they occur naturally in our environment and we our minds and our, our brains our our, vi, our our eyes our vision our eyes are attracted and soothed by these patterns they're in leaves tree bark tree rings waves clouds shells feathers. And so this is something really interesting to take note of that if we're mindful about, then we can pick up on it and and start to notice it. But we really just naturally are attracted to that. Textures, that's also uh, important because if you are in the middle of an anxious moment, a panic attack, for example, one of the tricks is to start, well, to use all your senses, but a really good trick is to start touching different textures. And I just think that nature offers so many opportunities to, to have those, those soothing you know, moments of, of using our, our, our sense of feeling and touching. So I even think about like a caterpillar, fuzzy caterpillar, or the warm sand, or the cool grass. So these all help calm us down, all of these entities of nature. Yeah, well, I'll mention sounds because there is a lot of great research on this. They found that listening to an app of a human voice meditation is not as soothing as listening to birdsong or or water trickling or the waves. So nature, when we when we listen to nature, it just calms us even more than anything else that you can imagine. And I like that a lot of these things, obviously, they're outside in nature and we should get out there. That's ideal. But a lot of these things can be brought indoors if you are, say, too sick to go outside or you don't have the means to travel. You can bring Mm -hmm. the colors into your house. You can bring these sounds into your house and even the textures. My boys are constantly bringing rocks and pine cones Mm. into the house and you can have a good sensory table so there's literally no excuse 
to <laughs> not be using these wonderful um, therapies right inside mm -hmm. your house. Right, essential oils are another great one because mm -hmm. different natural scents are also very relaxing, like lavender, orange. I have a whole collection now. <laughs> and that's fun to get your kids involved with that. You know, do a blindfold experiment and see which ones they like best or what calms them down mostly. And they can use that at bedtime. Yeah, they get to have a hand in that. My boys love picking out which one they want to put in. And mm. it, 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 you get a little bit creative, too. They'll be like, oh, I want to put these two together. So it, it's all such good uses for nature that we can bring inside. Something I haven't heard talked about, and we, we don't need to touch on this long, but if you want to mention a little bit more about it, is the negative ions and how it affects mm. our mood. Could you go into that just a little bit? Yes. So, and, and there are two parts of the book, earthing and negative ions, that was a little bit difficult when I talk about the, the science-backed aspect of this book. So I did, you know, I worked very hard to find as much research as I can. Their research is still, you know, kind of in, in flux. So negative ions are really amazing because you would find them at places involving water moving. So if you're at a waterfall or you're walking outside in the rain and they help reduce stress, anxiety, and depression. And it's basically negative ions are charged molecules that we cannot feel, see, smell, or taste, but breathing them in helps us feel better. And so yes, there are studies out there that are showing this. And I can tell you, you know, I recently was at Niagara Falls or recently before the pandemic, you know, how recent was that? I don't know, three, four I, years ago, it seems. I think so. that's how everyone classifies recently now. Yeah, it's one all of my last, together. Right, and one of my last ma major vacations. And so we were at the Niagara, Niagara Falls, and when you're just, you're breathing in that moist air, and it's just so refreshing, and it, it just it, it just makes you feel calmer and and better and healthier. So it's just, again, something that's out there in our environment, kind of like the sunshine, that we don't realize that it's benefiting us. But now that the research, the scientists are digging into each of these elements and why they're beneficial, they are finding more and more information about that. Yes, you can just, you can just feel it. <laughs> like you said, it just feels refreshing. It feels good. And I like that finally there is some science. We're always going to be learning more things, which is great. The greatest part about science, it's never boring. But you see that the feelings are correct, that this is helping you scientifically uh, improve your mood and just be more relaxed. I can always feel with smelling after the rain and it's just such a calming effect. And you mentioned briefly about earthing. For us in our family, we love earthing because we just don't like to wear shoes. <laughs> and it's just, a, I mean, they're boys too, so they just can't keep them on. Uh, but it's a very freeing thing, especially in the summer. We have a lot of winter. So when summer comes around, the shoes come off and you can feel the earth. You touched on the book that your senses are, are more activated because, I mean, your feet have a lot of nerve endings and you can feel things better. But are there any other reasons why earthing would be a good thing to do? And maybe explain what earthing is for the people who don't know what it is. 
Yeah, it's really so simple. It's taking your shoes off, taking your socks off, and standing on the the earth, the ground. And that could be sand, it could be soil, mud, or your the grass in your own backyard. And it just allows you to connect. It's a, it's a mindful experience, and it's a full sensory experience. It allows you to connect to the ground. You're grounding yourself, and this can just be beneficial to help unclog all the the mental clutter that's going on, all the worries, and just really feel like you're one and connected, like a tree, like a strong tree connected mm-hmm. to the ground. And um, some pe- some experts have found that earthing can also result in health benefits like reducing pain and inflammation, lowering mm-hmm. stress, and, and improving sleep. And you know they're basing that on the premise that they believe there's an electrical charge from the earth that neutralizes free radicals in the body to improve health. So this is, again, one of those areas of on, on the fringe nat- uh, science. So they're still working on really clarifying this research. But a lot, this has been going on for in indigenous cultures for, for a long time, where they just, you know, this, they do this practice. They've been doing it for hundreds of years and they feel better. So their proponents of this are suggesting that everybody do this for about a half an hour a day to just feel more grounded and more connected and, and relaxed. And the side benefit of earthing is that, especially with kids, it's a good thing to get them out of their restrictive shoes. There can be a lot of padding. There can be a lot of tightness. And your your feet need to strengthen their muscles, and it actually affects your posture. It's something that I've looked into a little bit, and I think it's fascinating. So you have a myriad of reasons to just leave the shoes behind in the summer <laughs> and just let the kids run free in the dirt or the mud. Just clean them off before they come in, I guess. But it's definitely worth it. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of similarities between this world of nature and stress reduction and, and meditation and mindfulness. Because in yoga, you always take your shoes and socks off so that you're more grounded and connected to, usually it's your mat inside. But if you're if you take the yoga outdoors, now you're you could be doing it on the grass or the beach, and you're really you know your your muscles are strengthening, connecting in a more natural way. Chapter three is my absolute favorite, which is the chapter on awe. Okay, so you have in the book that awe is the opposite of anxiety, which I find fascinating. Can you give in a description of awe and why awe is important for kids? Yes, and awe is fascinating, and awe research is fascinating. And there's really one expert out there, Dacher Keltner, who's 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 been really focusing on this uh, out at Berkeley. And so awe, the best way to describe awe is what you feel when you look at a rainbow. And it, awe, it's so amazing when you see those colors just appear out of nowhere. And I've tried to paint a rainbow because I do watercolor. And it's literally impossible to paint the rainbow as it appears in the sky. Mm-hmm. So you're just so in awe of what you're of, of what you're seeing naturally. So what is awe? It's when your eyes tear up because you're just so impressed with what you're seeing. It's a magical moment. 
You might have tingles up your spine. And we can sense all, not only in nature, but, you know, the birth of your child, music, if you go to the orchestra, or maybe the theater, and you're just impressed, or, or the, the line of dancers that are in, totally in sync, and you're just like, wow, how are they doing that? How is this happening? That is awe. And it's very hard to describe, but it is very important that we try to experience it and we provide opportunities for our kids to do this. And this, so there's so many ways that are very simple, like going on an evening walk and looking up at the sky and the stars. I mean, nothing to me is as in awe as like, how big is the universe? You know, that question, nobody has an answer. And so, you know, we, there's one thing to be just mindful and that's important too. But when you're really just like, wow, you've never seen this ever, like the Grand Canyon, the first time you see it or the first time a child sees a rainbow in person. Mm -hmm. So again, I mean, I'm struggling with the words because everybody struggles with the words to describe all. It's so powerful. And it cuts back. Like when you're in that moment, you you don't have time. You don't have the energy. You can't be worrying because Mm -hmm. you're just so fascinated by what's happening in front of you. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't need to be something like driving to the Grand Canyon, which is amazing. And we plan on doing that this year. So we hope to experience <laughs> a sense of awe there. But it can be just simply going outside and seeing an amazing sunset or just mm-hmm. being present in nature, looking for those opportunities, I think is important because we can easily miss a lot of them. And they're, they're right there. We don't even really need to go anywhere if we keep an eye out for them. Watching animals is a great one whether it's outside in in your backyard or at a zoo or a nature center or even on a screen you know if you you know if you watch the discovery channel and you see what these animals are doing and if they're behaving like we do it it brings us all we're like wow you know or the speed Mm -hmm. of them or their colors all of that i think animals is a great way for kids to experience more awe for sure yeah and that's another another easy one I'm going to jump to the chapter on art because that was really good for me because I struggle at incorporating art into our lives. But you gave some really good ideas, so I'm going to try those. But I do have a question. So my boys are 8 and 10, and they are very active, let's say. (laughs) They don't sit still very well. Do you have any good first nature art project that you would recommend for them? Any place to start with um, nature art therapy? Well, if they love to run around, the first thing that comes to my mind would be kind of like a nature scavenger hunt where they then would need to go and find certain elements in nature, like sticks, leaves, stones. And then once they're tired, hopefully from running around from doing that, they could sit down and do something creative with it, like a sculpture or a collage. They could create little figures, like characters out of what they find, little stick figures. That's a really good idea because my boys do like art, but I struggle to combine the activeness with the creativity. And they do go hand in hand and being outside is very tied to being creative. So I want to try to give them more opportunities. I think once I just present it to them and they they will run with it, but that's a good idea. We're going to we're going to start <laughs> there. Which art therapy has helped you most personally? I think you just mentioned watercolors. Is that correct? Yes. 
painting nature for sure has been helpful to me. And in, um, in fact, later today, I'm going to go over to a local nature area um, in the by the Everglades. And I, I just joined a group where they do plain air painting. And that is painting outside. And there's all kinds of meetup groups you can join to do this. And even though uh, some of them are, are real experts, and I try to just forget that part of it, and I really go there for that outdoor time and the peace of being in nature and and talk about using your, your mindful skills. When you're painting nature, you really have to hone in on what you're seeing to be able to bring it to life you know, on the paper. So yeah, I would say that the whole process of, of watercolors helped me. Um, I also do it where I take pictures with my phone and then I have all these pictures of, of flowers and trees from like everywhere, all of our vacations. And then I use that as my, you know, to paint, you know, um, mm -hmm. as my inspiration to paint. And that has helped me because you also see things differently when you're a painter. You look for the, the shadows and the light and the colors and you realize that the tree isn't just brown and green. There's so many other amazing colors in there and different hues. So yeah, I would say that that has been the most beneficial type of nature therapy for me, for sure. I also liked the animal chapter, which you can tell there was a lot of chapters I liked. I liked them all. <laughs> <laughs> but the animal chapter was very interesting. I grew up with dogs and I can attest to all your points being accurate, at least for me. The one thing I used to find most calming when I was having an anxiety attack or just feeling nervous about something was talking to my dog. And some people might be like, oh, okay, that's, that's weird. But it really, I couldn't express those emotions to my parents, even though they're amazing, or to my friends. It just was too hard to put those things out there. But talking to my dog was accessible and easy, and it always improved my mood greatly. So I think people forget about animal therapy in terms of the nature therapy part of um mental health. So I really like that you had animals in there. Have you had any great experiences with animal therapy for your family or your kids? Well, I just want to first say that this was the hardest chapter for me to write the intro for because I don't have pets and I didn't grow up mm -hmm. with a pets except maybe a goldfish from the, the carnival that we want or that something. That counts. <laughs> So, but then when I stopped and really thought about it, animals were still important to me and my mm -hmm. childhood and then the experiences of my children. So, you know, I, I loved the pony rides as a kid at the company picnics that, you know, my dad's company picnics. And my daughter recently went and did two weeks of horseback riding camp. And oh. she, yeah, that was just so enjoyable on so many levels and to be able to be outside and we live in the suburbs but there's like these little pockets of rural areas still and mm -hmm. so the air the, where the the horse ranch was was you felt like you were transported into a different area <laughs> a different mm -hmm. place and so she loved that she loved having that break from school and being able to take care of that the horses and and learn how to ride them so i think that was therapeutic for her and you know there's other 
moments with animals that that stick with me and I'll go back to awe because to me it was incredible on my for my 40th birthday my wish was to go to Alaska so we went on the Alaska cruise and we had one of the um the the, what do you call it the expeditions the Mm. uh, excursions that's the word yes and we were on a boat ride and on the, the river lake and we saw bald eagles flying overhead and that to me was a huge moment of awe in my life because you see that on tv you know it's just not something that I was growing up in New Jersey (laughs) exposed Mm -hmm. to and so just I would stare at them and I'm like trying to count how many and take pictures and you can't really capture it because they're they're so up high and quick but that interaction with wildlife is really important and actually Richard Louvin his latest book is about wildlife and how meaningful it is to even just like stare in the eyes of a creature that you see when you're on a on a on a hike or in your backyard and it's this connection we have to nature you know that's silent and and I think it's interesting that you talk to your dog because I bet you a lot of people do and I bet you a lot of kids do and they're a friend and it's emotionally you know, beneficial to do that. So I think that was an interesting story that that you shared. We actually were just out on our property. We have a little bit of wooded acreage here. And I saw a couple of deer and they just stopped Mm -hmm. and they just looked at us. So it was like that moment you're just looking them in the eyes and you have just this connection, this feeling again of calm and peacefulness. And there's just there's nothing that can beat it. <laughs> so I found I found all of your um, information on the animal chapter very interesting. So I thank you for mentioning those things. And the last chapter I wanted to dive into was the volunteering chapter. You mentioned it briefly in the beginning, but what are some tips on getting your family involved with nature volunteering and why is it beneficial? Well, volunteering and giving back is beneficial no matter what you do. The research there is, is very thorough that when we help others, we our, our positive hormones um, are boosted and we just feel better and it, it changes our perspective on our own lives, gets us away from our worries. So I all volunteering is good, but of course for this, we're looking at nature and I just thought it was really interesting to be able to explore the different options that was really actually connecting to nature. So it's not just sending a donation to an environmental organization or making phone calls, you know, to to save the planet. This was really actually getting yourself, you know, literally dirty, you know, outside. And so this can look like planting trees, volunteering in a community garden, volunteering of uh, in a at a farm that does a gleaning project and this is usually when they have extra produce that they need picked and then it gets donated to a local food bank so oh beach cleanups that's one of my our favorites because we live you know eight minutes from the beach so we have and we have a have a good relationship with the local beach cleanup organization and so um, I did actually my own personal research involved in that to see how people felt after they were engaged in a, in a beach cleanup so it really depends where you live and what you have access to. But 
your local government, your state government, local, just, you know, Google kind of your or Sierra Club chapter, other environmental organizations, gardening clubs. There's a lot of opportunities to get involved. And I just think it's a wonderful hands-on project to do as a family. And a lot of kids who are in, you know, traditional schools have community service requirements. So, you know, I encourage them to seek out some of these nature volunteer projects because it'll make them feel better as they're doing it. Kids get a sense of pride knowing that they're doing something good. So you you feel the goodness from doing something kind to anybody, but they feel a sense of pride of helping the planet specifically. It's an interesting tie where you are building that relationship very directly with um, the world around you, I feel like. And I, I saw a pattern in some of the stories you were sharing that you, if you feel like you don't have enough time to volunteer as a family, you can maybe combine it with something you're already doing. You mentioned like beach um, cleanups. Mm-hmm. If you are already doing an evening walk, maybe just bring a garbage bag or someone was doing uh, jogging and was picking yes. up trash as, as they were jogging. So there's, it's worth doing even just a small part. I feel like you'll, you'll get more out of it than even you're giving. <laughs> yeah. Another idea is if you have a green thumb and you have a garden already, maybe when you pick those peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes, you could gather them and donate them or give them to, you know, in a basket to someone who is in the hospital or not feeling well down the street, whatever it may be. You know, something also as simple as when you do like a charity walk, you know, bring your dog with you. Or if someone, you know, a neighbor is, you know, dealing with an issue that they can't get out, you could offer to walk their dog. So little things like that, that and especially where the kids can get involved and and get outside and, you know, help someone feel better. So, you know, there's ways to kind of help people, help animals, and then also help the planet. Yes, I am personally going to be looking more into it because I was very inspired. Mm-hmm. It, you make it very accessible in the book with a lot of ideas that there's – Again, I mentioned no excuse. <laughs> you can, you don't have to make it big or grand, but you can. Sometimes those things are really fun if you want to go volunteer overseas. But there's a lot of little things you can do here that do make a big difference in your life and whoever you are helping. Uh, let's go over a couple general conclusions before we wrap up this podcast. Has writing this book changed anything for you, whether it be learning or a different perspective? Has it has it affected you personally? Yes. <laughs> we write the books that we need the most. Mm. And so this is now the toolkit that I need to follow as well, and I hope it benefits other people. There are plenty of things in here that I haven't done yet. And, you know, when you're a writer, you always worry that, oh, you know, I'm not telling the full truth or that imposter syndrome, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not, oh, how can I talk about cow cuddling if I've never done it? (laughs) But, you know, I still say, you know, my job was to be a journalist, a researcher and bring together everything that's being at that's going on already out there doesn't mean that I have done everything or that I am a practitioner and, you know, I don't, I don't work with children directly. 
But all these wonderful people are doing that. And so I feel like my role was to bring that all together in this book. And so it's kind of something that could be my bucket list, right? I mean, I have the activity checklist at the end of each chapter. I hope to get to do goat yoga and cow cuddling. My daughter actually keeps saying, Mommy, this summer, can we please do goat yoga? Because the woman I interviewed has it um, in Pennsylvania, and we spend our time, our summers in New- at the Jersey Shore, so it's, it's closer to us. So yeah, I think it's opened my eyes at, up a lot to what nature has to offer. And again, going back to my goal to save the planet, I also feel like you know the environmental movement has tried a lot of avenues to convince people to make change. And we're still struggling, you know, as we have with the plastic crisis, the climate crisis. And so I thought, well, maybe the mental health, maybe telling people to make them happier and their kids happier and calmer and less stressed, maybe this could be the bit that gets them motivated to make a change and a difference. So I hope that that's my grand plan and goal. And at the very minimum, I hope that people get to enjoy you know, family time outdoors, maybe start a nature hobby or habit, and that you know, they find a way to address their, the stresses in their lives. Well, why don't you let us know how we can purchase uh, Finding Eco-Happiness and how to find your other resources, because you have a wealth of information online. So how can people find the book and how can they find you? Yeah, the best thing to do would be to head over to my website, ecohappinessproject.com. And I have the tab for the parenting book that will give you all the options to buy it. Of course, it's on Amazon, but it's also on um, other anywhere books are sold. So you can choose your, your favorite venue. And then I have tons of blog posts. I put out new ones all the time pulling different areas and ideas from the book, but also new things that that come up, new research and and ideas. And I also have a nature habit quiz. It's free, Mm. 10 questions. If you don't know where to start, you don't know how to build that nature habit, you don't know how to get your kids, you know, connecting to nature and off those screens, take the quiz for each kid and you'll get an email with a list of activity ideas to enjoy. Perfect. Well, I'll share the links in show notes as well. But thank you so much, Sandy, for talking to me today. I have learned so much from your book, and it's been a pleasure learning more from you on this podcast. So thank you. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing in this area as well. I appreciate being here. That wraps up this episode, but please check out Sandy's new book and other resources. Thanks for being with us.